Welcome to the Three Wins Podcast, brought to you by Legacy Advisory Partners, an Atlanta-based financial services firm that believes that the key to unlocking your company's full growth potential can be found in the Three Wins Framework. My name's Sean Lydon, and I'm the producer of the Three Wins Podcast. If you're a business owner or senior executive who is serious about growth and making your company as valuable as possible, especially during these uncertain times in 2020 with COVID-19, you've come to the right place. We have an amazing episode for you today where Russ Clemmer, the president at Legacy Advisory Partners, speaks with John Coffin and Emmett Moore with Practical Growth Advisors. John and Emmett have developed a proprietary operational and financial forecasting platform to help business owners and executives make smart decisions quickly and confidently. In the last episode, we covered high-level strategies for where and how to make adjustments in your business in this brave new COVID-19 world to help you build momentum going into later this year and 2021. But this episode drills deeper into one of the strategies talked about last time, and it's this, know your numbers. And that's John and Emmett's specialty. But after that conversation, stay tuned, because we have bonus content where Russ sits down with Mark Walker and Matt Joins on Legacy Senior Leadership Team to debrief the interview and provide context for how some of the main themes John and Emmett discussed actually fit within the Three Wins framework. This way, you gain some practical strategies to help you put your company in a position to make the most of the rest of this tumultuous 2020 and build strong momentum going into 2021. So, without further ado, here's episode six of the Three Wins Podcast. Hello, my name's Russ Clemmer. I'm president of Legacy Advisory Partners, and today I'm with John Coffin and Emmett Moore, co-founders of Practical Growth Advisors here in Atlanta, Georgia. John and Emmett have come together to build a proprietary service helping companies, both business owners and corporate executives. They've provided a service where they are able to help them forecast what's ahead and make really great decisions based on that forecasting ability. They have been working together for several years and are enjoying a great opportunity to help their clients, to inform their clients, and really give this peace of mind. And I'm, I'm one of those clients and, and can say that it's been great to be able to work with them and get that peace of mind where you know your numbers and you're able to sit there and say, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I can see ahead enough to know what scenarios are out there. So Know Your Numbers is, is a part of a series we're doing here on the Three Wins podcast. Last time we talked about several different ways that you as a business owner or executive can prepare to make the most out of the rest of 2020 and prepare for 2021. We don't know what COVID-19 has for us. And so that's one of the really important reasons to be talking with someone who can help you forecast well. So John and Emmett, thank you for joining us today on the Three Wins Podcast. Thank you for bringing your expertise and your knowledge and some of your case studies. We look forward to the conversation. Thanks for us. Great to be with you guys. So, you know, working, working with you guys for a while and, and enjoying the, the process that we've gone through, 
tell the audience a little bit about how you guys uh, got together, your background, and, and you know, why you ended up coming together to form Practical Growth Advisors. Maybe I'll start. Um, Emmett and I have known each other since our freshman year at college. We uh, uh, lived in the same dormitory, so we uh, that was a long time ago. I'll just put it that way. But um, uh, my experience has been as a 30-year banker, uh, eight years in New York with Manufacturers Hanover, which became Chemical, which became Chase, then came down to Atlanta in 1996, worked with Wachovia through the First Union and uh, uh, South Trust mergers, and then uh, had the distinct pleasure of being a co-founder of Atlantic Capital Bank, where um, we raised $125 million to get going and start a bank that specifically served mid-market companies. Uh, a couple of years ago, I um, left Atlantic Capital uh, after we had gotten the company to the public market and um, just decided it was the time to do something different. And about the same time, Emmett was coming out of uh, one of his um, more recent CFO roles, and I'll let him give you his background. But, um, you know, we have really the, the benefit and the, the structure of um, the company is really uh, uh, a 30-year banker plus a 30-year uh, CPA, CFO background um, and bringing those skills to bear to help serve uh, privately held business owners and businesses in their uh, quest for growth. So, uh, Emmett? Um, very similar to John, uh, 30 years and on the operational side after some time at Ernst & Young, uh, became a controller and CFO and for 30 years really defended companies on the inside, on the financial side and raised a lot of capital, debt, equity, did two IPOs and have worked for um, family-owned businesses, um, five or six peg-owned companies, private equity group companies, and really um, found that my, my passion was forecasting, helping the entire company look at their data, past, present, and future, and understand what's coming down the road, and understanding how your decisions today impact the future, so that you make better decisions today, and your future is where you want it to be. And so when you really put John and me together, we've got a good internal and external view of the companies that we work with, mm -hmm. help them both communicate internally with their management team, make good decisions to maximize their cash flow, and also raise capital, look at M&A opportunities, and communicate with banks and equity groups. And so we've, we found it's a powerful combination, and we're a lot stronger together and have really enjoyed being partner, partners for two years now. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, one of the comments y'all have shared with me and, in, in, you know, the, the wisdom, and it does sound like a little bit of a Yogi Bear statement, right? But uh, your future is going to be different than your past. <laughs> but so many times conventional, you know, that, that, that solid, simple wisdom is uh, overlooked and people don't consider it. And that's really one of the, the, the things that y'all have driven home uh, in, in my understanding and what we're doing here with Legacy, but also how we're all you know, helping our clients is the, the, the emphasis of having uh, a keen understanding of your data, having really good data, but also being able to say, all right, what system are we putting that data in 
to be able to look. And so, it, you know, that, that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the understanding and, and the, the practical wisdom. Tell me a little bit more about how you guys chose practical growth advisors for the name of your company. Why practical? I think, you know, I think from my perspective, having uh, done about eight years of startups, um, mm-hmm. only one of which was wildly successful and the rest were less so. But, um, <laughs> I got, I got, such it is, yeah. Well, I think that's where practical came from. Is I saw so huh. many failures. I saw, I saw so much wasted capital. Um, yeah. That my job was to raise the money, not spend it. And then I'd get to watch it spin. And sometimes it was spent wisely and sometimes not. And so, the one thing I noticed is every growth company, it doesn't really matter who you are. Yeah. You're going to need cash and yeah. you're going to have limited resources. And so you have to really apply those resources in a practical manner to sustain that growth. And so my job over and over was to kind of get the entrepreneur, the visionary connected to the ground and, making that growth practical was the critical fight that I had to fight for many years. And so, you know, practical has really um, means we like to have tactical ways to achieve your long-term goal month after month. Mm -hmm. And I would just, uh, growth was important uh, from my side, uh, primarily because of the commentary that I've had with literally hundreds of business owners who, um, when you say, what do you want to do? They always say, I want to grow my business. And, uh, you know, yeah, so, right. Exactly. And that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but, um, uh, uh, so we know it's of the utmost importance to people, but, you know, our view is that, um, you need to grow practically, uh, practically, but also profitably. And, um, you know, so often people have this view of, I want to be X million dollars of revenue. At the end of the day, that's 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 nice, but it's not the key element. It's also uh, making sure that you're building both your corporate empire and your personal empire by being profitable. And so, uh, that's the growth side of things is important, but quality growth is really important. Yeah, it, and that's that's something that you know makes a lot of sense. And you know, depending on if you're uh, a founder of a company, and the company's been around, you know, for thirty five years, and you know, you're kind of, as the owner, you may be sensing, you know what, I, I, I may have one more push in me to grow this thing or to reach a certain level. Or, you know, I know the market is shifting and I can make these changes. Uh, you know, you may have just founded your company and you're on a hockey stick kind of trajectory, but you may be out of control as far, you don't have a clue where your numbers are and what makes sense. You may not have a, a, a team of people around you to help uh, discern those numbers and give you good impact, uh, input on those numbers. So there's a number of different applications. So when you sit there and kind of look at uh, growth, uh, I think, you know, what you said as far as making sure there's the capital question alongside growth, we're not talking about three or four or 5% a year organic growth. We're talking about growth that is, uh, is uh, decided upon because of good numbers right? Good, good numbers all the way across the board uh, in your business. And you can see a trajectory, a forecast through your system that says, this is, if we have growth option A, B, or C, we know what they are. We know the pros, we know the cons. So how do you guys work with owners who are trying to go through that? You know, just give a couple of examples of, 
people who were, you know, just founded their company and they're on a fast growth trajectory or they've been around a while and maybe they've plateaued and they're, you know, trying to figure out what's next. Let me, let me maybe just before we go there, pick up one thing just so that we can level set a little bit. Um, yep. So often a company, uh, most companies have at least uh, three or three to eight uh, key data sources for their business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. History is typically dealt with from the accounting system. Uh, current state or, you know, now to when am I pushing, what can I see pushing out the door either from a product or service perspective is usually handled in an operating system. And then the future, uh, you know, is really dealt with in a CRM or sales tool. And, and then you have information from your HR system that's very critical too. Most companies, when they think about uh, growing their company, says, what happened in the past and how can I apply that to the future? But they have mm-hmm. very little insight into connecting the dots between these data sources. And so what we're really doing through our proprietary model called Insight is taking all 100% of the accounting data out of a company's chart of accounts and uh, putting that in summary form uh, that internal and external sources can actually understand. And then also taking subsets of information that are key for uh, KPIs and lead measures, et cetera, Mm -hmm. out of the operating system and the CRM system and the HR system and other systems, depending on the company. Um, And that's what you really use to create the vision for what's going to happen over the next six months, the next three years, the next five years. And importantly, when I do that, what's the value of my company? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then we combine that, Russ, with the uh, the monthly close process. So effectively, mm-hmm. you each month you update that historical information and you reforecast, and you have a really vibrant discussion with your leadership or executive team on a, on a on with with real information that not only gives you insight into the past, but more importantly, your current state and the future state. Um, so you know, to your question. Who do we who do we serve? Um, we have the opportunity to um, over the last couple of years work with a wide variety of industries uh, and et cetera. Um, you know, core businesses were honored during particularly during this COVID time to work. About a third of our companies are in critical industries. Uh, think manufacturing, distributing. Um, you know, that type of thing, core, core emergency services, et cetera. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of a core of our business, but we also work with business service companies and consumer driven companies and financial service companies. Um, we, we do work with some startups or what I like to call emerging growth companies, kind of call it under $10 million of revenue where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've, They've maybe been in business for a few years and are on a rapid growth track. Um, Very exciting, you know, kind of two to three X uh, industry growth norms. And so, you know, that's that oftentimes create uh, needs for uh, really good insight on inventory management or sales discipline or capital, you know, capital need, whether it be equity or junior capital or bank debt to kind of fuel the growth. We've also had the opportunity to work. And on the practical side, that's the growth side. He's growth on practical. Right. 
we, <laughs> you know, we, the advisors piece of our name is really comes from we're operators. We've had to make payroll. We've sat in the pain of not knowing where payroll is coming from. Um, yeah. We raise cash because we don't know how to grow if we don't go get cash. And so yeah. when we're working with these early stage companies, we'll help them close the books, reforecast every single month and yeah. compare the forecast to the actuals. Yeah. And then even help them understand their key performance indicators and what's going to move the needle. And so with one startup we worked at, we were changing their focus every month. Sometimes it was on revenue. Sometimes it was on profitability. Sometimes it was on the type of customer. Sometimes it was on how big is your order. And so we really helped guide a startup um, through 18 months of hitting their numbers by making sure they were being very aware of the different drivers of value. And because we did that, they were able to raise capital. And so that's, a, that's, that's a kind of the smallest thing we do. But there's definitely yeah. the growth side, the raising the capital, but there's also the execution. And when do you hire a person? Yeah. When do you need to hold off on hiring? How many sales folks do you need? Yeah, yeah. That's the that's I think the exciting thing is, you know, we we are finding that a lot of the a lot of the issues that the forecast uh, um, addresses are universal business issues that are relevant across industry. And so you know, typically we will do a, a six to eight hour kind of in-depth uh, discussion over a period of time with the management team, take all of the data and really in 30 days kind of give them a, a good perspective, a good solid forecast to work with. Business as usual. If you keep doing things the way you're doing it, this is where you're Right. Going. The right. average in, in, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then usually what comes out of that is... Uh, several very large either opportunities or obstacles for growth. And yeah. you know, to your question, it, it, there could be capital constraints or capital opportunities that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Or um, it could be a new product or service. Um, we've had someone, uh, you know, come up recently with a new product that's COVID specific and they're kind of launching that within this, within this time. And that's been a really interesting uh, opportunity for them. Um, sometimes companies have uh, not as disciplined a sales effort as they need to have. I'll just try to put that nicely. Um, you or, know. Or, or the founders doing all the sales and it's not transferable. Yeah. Um, well, and that's what, that's one comment that, that Emmett, you made, you know, in, in previous conversations is that you're trying to help get everything out of one person's head and into a into a forecasting process, a, 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 a tool that reads all of that information, all of the business as usual information, because that's one of the that's one of the the, the handicaps of a of a founder led business, is that too often they're the center of the circle, they're the wizard, and even though you have some important people around that person, it's not a full team effort. And so that's what, you know, one thing that I think is, is important about what you guys are doing. It's applicable to those guys, right? Right. And with those emerging growth kind of companies, yeah, you know, you succeeded when the team says, oh, I get it. Yeah. And the founder says, that's what I've been saying for years. Yeah. <laughs> it's in your head, it's in your own paper. We're looking at it. But yeah. the opposite is true with companies that have already kind of passed that 20, 30, 50 million mark. Yeah. It's the opposite. It's trying yeah. to get the team together to have mm -hmm. one thought. 
rather than one thought getting out to the team, it's it's unifying everybody's collectively good efforts and making it a great effort because everyone with their limited knowledge is doing what they think is good for the company in these bigger siloed companies. Right. But if right. they don't understand that because of the way the sales guy closed the deals, accounting can't account for it or bill for it, that starts to change how sales works. Or if operations is delivering the easy stuff first and not the hard stuff, you know, it might be that you don't hit the right milestone and accounting can't bill. And so you really need the entire sales operations and accounting teams talking in, in the companies where it's become a little fragmented. And you definitely need to get it out of the head of the founder in the companies where it's unified by one visionary. Yeah. To put it a different way, we kind of take that, that business vision, whether it's, you know, collectively amongst the leadership team or, you know, housed in the business owner's head and put some quantitative facts to it and then kind of put some forward leaning uh, KPIs and lead measures that really address that. Um, You know, the other thing just specifically that we do is, um, you know, the definition of business owner anxiety is, you know, when something is free form and they don't really have an answer to it. And like um, COVID, like COVID, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and because I'm, and I've been business owners and, you know, have had to make payroll role, as he mentioned, you know, we, we understand the 3 a.m., you know, pace around the study type of thing. And um, what we really try to do is understand the issue. Uh, put numbers to it uh, so that they have the ability to grow with confidence and understand where are we going? How do we get there? Let's have a plan. And when you put a plan and have the quantitative facts alongside it, you really, the anxiety goes away and then it becomes a problem to attack. And that's what most great management teams are really good at. Um, So, you know, that's, that's one of the areas from a psychological perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, that's, the, that's the burden of, of being the owner. Absolutely. And, and, it's, and it's a heavy burden. Yeah, well, that's it is. Really, but, but it's... Go ahead. We love to relieve that burden. And yeah. it's not that the forecast is right, because the one thing you know about any forecast is it's absolutely wrong. There's no forecast in the world that's ever right. Yeah. But they can actually show you the magnitude of the impact of your decisions. And you can say, okay... I can plan for three possible futures or four possible futures. These are this is the worst I could possibly see COVID doing in my business. Well, here's if it's kind of not that bad. Oh, what if it extends? It's not that bad, but it keeps going for the next three years. So we can do all sorts of scenarios. It yeah. shows you if you've got a plan for whatever happens. And that combined with doing it every month and being very agile means that you can change course very quickly. And you may go from plan A to C to B over three months, and that's fine. The, not, the point is not that you got the forecast right. It's that you are, are looking at the future and planning for it with your today's actions. Yeah. The, yeah. The, other, the other piece of information that is in the back of every business owner's mind is how much is my business worth? And, you know, mm-hmm. am, am what I am personally investing out of my personal empire going to have a positive effect on the corporate empire? And, yeah. um, you yeah. know, so that's another benefit of this is because we, really take a five-year look at, at the company and its growth trajectory, you really get an accurate valuation uh, day one, and then you get to mark-to-market, market-to-market effectively every month when you close the books. And so 
that's a very positive element of this too. So it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's most, the most downside management issues that that Emmett's talking about as it relates to scenario planning, but it's also the you know longer term value elements of things that uh, help someone understand: Am I on the right track or not? I think it's important. What John was saying is it's a dynamic valuation process. It's not what current business owners get. Oh, well, my industry gets five times EBITDA. What's EBITDA? EBITDA is purely backward looking. It's what you did over the past 12 months. That didn't talk about your future at all. Yeah. Our valuation looks at the cash flows into the future and says, if you execute, you're actually going to be worth seven times today's EBITDA or three times today's EBITDA. So, you know, we really look at the real driver of value, which is cash flow, not the yeah. kind of backward looking metrics that people use because they don't know how to forecast or don't have a good forecasting platform. Well, let's talk just for a second about multiple and EBITDA and the different, you know, ways that, you know, it's, it's almost like a, you know, an appraisal. It, it depends on what the buyer is willing to pay. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes you can get a, you can get a buyer that just has money and is, is, willing to write a check for something then and they make a bad decision, right? But that's not what you're planning on sell, who you're selling your company to, right? That's not what you're trying to, uh, you know, create the story around. So a lot of uh, it, it perceived security can go into a buyer's willingness to pay a certain multiple. And so what, what, what kind of uh, confidence do buyers receive when they're able to look at a process like you guys are able to put in place and sit down and say, now all of the, you know, this company knows their numbers. There's no secret or hidden areas that, you know, are going to catch me off guard. They've got it all clean. All the data is there. All the data is, is going forward. And I'm able to then look at it in a, in a way that's much clearer. So it's not only peace of mind for the owner, but it's also what, what, what in your experience, what does that bring to the table for a buyer in, in the whole negotiation process? Well, um, maybe I'll take a whack at that first. I think the, I think the first thing is that this concept of my business is worth some multiple of current EBITDA, what I made over the last 12 months or the average of the last two or three years. That's what a buyer of the business is always going to try and push the the, um, the seller into, and particularly if they're growing. Particularly if they're growing, or if there's a growth opportunity there, and that's a huge discount to the value of the company. Because to our earlier p- discussion around history, current state, future, you're really only taking into account history, and that's in many instances for companies that we're dealing with that have. Uh, great, not only growth aspirations, but growth opportunities, uh, you know, that's, that's by design discounting the value of the company. So by introducing current state, you know, what's the next six to nine months look like, or whatever our existing backlog of businesses that we've actually sold into the equation, you're starting to push into not only a LTM valuation, but what's the value of the company 12 months from now based on that EBITDA. And yep. then and the, then that contractually we're going to make. The contractually is already in the in the bank so to speak. Yeah. Yep. And then you know what's and then what's even more important is then you look at the future and then you really kind of get into the details around what our sales team can accomplish. What are 
existing recurring clients, what kind of recurring revenue they create versus new clients and how much of your overall future revenue and earnings are based on recurring versus new client base. Those are the things that as we think about value, we start to incorporate into the dialogue and um, whether it's for raising capital, uh, having a uh, insightful conversation with your bank or actually selling your company. Or even setting covenants. Or, or setting covenants. You've got to have that level of detail and insight. Yep. And so we're trying to get companies to have the ability to see as far in the future as they can with confidence. And, um, you know, we think one of the competitive advantages of doing that and actually kind of updating it every month and holding the company accountable internally to that is that um, you see a couple months or a quarter further than your competition. And that's what yep. we're really trying to get at. Is, we're we're yeah. trying to pull the Wayne Gretzky. You know, he said, why yeah. are you such a good hockey player? It's because I skate to where the puck's about to be. Yeah. 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 That's really good. That's really good wisdom. And, and you know, we, we haven't mentioned this, but a core tenant of this is you have to have an owner that wants this. They don't want to just stay in their normal cycles. They don't want to just kind of, well, we'll take whatever comes to us. Because those are the companies that, that, you know, they may do okay, they may, but they're not going to be worth what they could be. They're not going to generate for the owner and the employees in the business the success opportunity uh, that could be. And so it, even though that's how some you know, folks go, but one of the, one of the requirements, one of the, the buy-ins of the owner is a conviction that I need to clean my numbers up. I know they can tell me something more useful than what I'm just, you know, getting from the way I'm looking at them right now. And that's really what they come and look for you guys uh, to help them do. And so there's a, there's a, there's a buy-in to what you guys are talking about. And because otherwise, if they just come and say, Hey, do this for me, and they're not bought in, then you guys can do a great job, but they're, not going to really take it and run with it the way they should. So you make some great points in there, Russ, and let me try and unpack a couple of those things. Um, You know, we we also work with a lot of companies that are transitioning from first generation or second generation to second or third generation. And there's a valuation element of that and the passing of the baton that has to happen very smoothly. Um, that's an area that we've been very involved in. Um, there's also people to your point about I've I've run my business for 20 or 30 years and it's been a fantastic lifestyle business. We have the utmost respect for uh, you know the business owners and entrepreneurs that we work with because they're the guys and women who are taking taking the risks and actually doing this. Yeah, and absolutely. People and all that stuff. These are the great Americans that. Uh, you know, make America great. And, um, you know, we, but they're, they're oftentimes are running their, running their books on a cash, not an accrual basis or to maximize taxes, not to maximize future earnings. And it's at these points of transition, whether it's, I'm, I'm, um, I want to bring in an outside source of capital and have somebody else looking at my business in a different way, or I actually want to sell or transfer value uh, to someone else, you have to look at your business differently. And so you're right. This is oftentimes a flashpoint for people to say, you know, I really need to kind of uh, 
build my financial foundation to a, a next level of uh, solid, you know, uh, side. And, and that, frankly, is where uh, a little bit of my insight comes into effect as far as how does the outside investor or banker look at a company. But really, it's, it's really kind of Emmett's skill as a CPA and uh, CFO to kind of take those internal information and really present it in the best light. Not that, not that that's a false light. It's just a different, you know, gap is complicated. Uh, you know, cash versus accrual, tax versus, uh, you know, these are complicated issues that, um, you know, a lot of business owners aren't really dialed into. So well, that's one we, of the areas we help. We let, we, yeah. we educate, um, particularly the emerging companies on the fact that you can minimize taxes and maximize value. And there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. You should be minimizing taxes, but you know, many times they don't take the time to, to spend much money on GNA on uh, accounting, et cetera. And they shouldn't, they should be focused on operations, but yeah, I mean, I tactically help, but John has such a depth of knowledge on types of companies. He's seen hundreds of companies. Yeah. So he can very quickly help tell you what's a normal problem and what's your unique problem or what's a unique opportunity and what's kind of common opportunity. And so we, we really bring that breadth of experience and depth of industry knowledge that helps a business owner kind of begin to see themselves in a true light. And when you begin to put all the data in one place and begin to forecast with confidence, you really are sale ready at that point. And at any point in time, you could sell the company um, because it's a living data room that tells your whole story. Yeah. When we work with business owners in the three wins process, both getting them their personal story organized, talking about all of these data points that you're talking about in the corporate win, what we call the corporate win. And then also making sure they have a good success story for their key leaders and their employees. When we walk through that process, what we're, encouraging because often the motivation is, I don't know how long, how much longer I want to own this company. I don't know how much longer I want to work here. You know, I've got other things I want to do. And, and there are a myriad of reasons that that statement comes out of their mouth, different motivations for them having that conversation. But one thing we talk about with them is, Hey, you know, it's okay to own this company and it be more of a passive investment, right? You don't have to just get rid of it. That's not going to solve all your problems. But what we talk about is, you know, if you get your company uh, to a point where it's organized and you know your numbers and you're making really great decisions, you have a, a group of people around you helping you make those decisions, that's a company that you probably want to keep. But when the time comes that you definitely know you want to exit ownership of the company, it's ready. So it's get it ready to sell, get it attractive, get it to point where somebody is saying, hey, I want your company, I want your company. Uh, no, I don't have any reason to sell it. Things are going really, really well. You're reaping the benefits that as a, as a shareholder, as an owner, but then you're always ready to sell it. So, you know, Emmett, you mentioned, John, I know your, your background, having seen hundreds of different companies, what are some, what are some, uh, you know, key success stories that, uh, you know, somebody may be able to identify with in our audience? Mm. There's there's a lot of them, <laughs> uh, you know, and and um, we're we're one thing that uh, is 
is very humbling, I think, to both Emmett and I is when companies invite us in, they're inviting us into their most intimate details. And uh, yeah, yeah. One element of this is, uh, you know, we hold the the trust and the confidentiality that our clients, you know, insist upon, uh, you know, very. In, so, uh, you know, maybe it, we're not trying to dodge the question, but we'll kind of speak in generalities a little. Bit. Oh, yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one one. Uh, one one school that we've been working with, the university, uh, a, a specific specific area, um, it was shifting their uh, their programs and kind of trying to understand if the the dean of the school saw a very significant what she viewed as business opportunity or service opportunity to you know shift shift from one one level of service to another and um, or program to another. But she didn't really have the understanding of the quantitative impact of that. And that's a great example mm-hmm. of I've got the vision. I know where the, the, the market, so to speak, or the you know, program need is going, but I don't really have as much confidence as I would like because I don't understand the quantitative impact. And that was a good example of it really helped her um, you know, see that more clearly and make that decision very confidently with her executive team. And then one of the opportunities that came out of that or needs was she had a real real estate need um, to expand, grow her capacity. And because so, we were able to quantify the impact on headcount. Yeah. And we said, you don't have the capacity in your current building. So it, it's not limited to just the financial operating data is a key part of all this. Right. And so, yeah, right. Right. And that was an element where we don't have that expertise, but we introduced her to a great partner to help her find the right next place for them to expand. And it was somewhat revolutionary within the organization because it was a it was off their current campus. And so, uh, you know, there was there was elements of that 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 had to be supported by the facts, by the numbers, and so that was very helpful in the and, process. And in education, they don't have the language of EBITDA, right? Or value. No, no, but no. We were actually able to show her that, you know, you've got a X million dollar business, you got some clout, you're generating this yeah. kind of cash flow for the college. So you can make that this kind of capital expenditure, you know, in order to grow your business. So we armed her with a bazooka, and the other deans had. That's right. And yeah, I've been writing this much cash. What are you doing? I can pay for this much real estate. Why wouldn't you let me? So, so that's kind of a you know a little bit outside the norm from an industry perspective, Um, but it was really a. it was a wonderful, it's a wonderful example of, of how we work with folks. The other thing is, I would say that um, we're not a transactional company, although we can help mm-hmm. during a transaction. Um, mm-hmm. We really, you know, have these lasting longer term relationships with the business owners, um, even after they sell their companies in some instances. But and many times right. we've with the company for years and then they want to sell and we're the natural yep. because we know them intimately. We like to be involved with the company 18 to 24 months before they think they want to sell because we can yep. really help do things that strengthen their balance sheet, strengthen their cash flow, strengthen their value. Yeah, we had a, um, we had a situation where we, we helped a, an, an owner sell his business. 
we helped introduce them to numerous private equity companies and mm-hmm. family offices. He mm-hmm. narrowed the options down to a couple, chose one, and you know through that process, we assisted with his sales efforts and helping him really kind of quantify the value of his existing client base as well as you know new sales that were in their CRM system. And, and that, it started as, I don't know what I'm going to sell each year. I just sell to all these, and I sell to you know these guys a lot, and those guys a lot. We were able yeah. to quantify and say these twenty customers are guaranteed to buy a hundred thousand a year. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. recurring revenue. You don't see it that way, but that's what happens. And yeah. and and the way we got to that answer was, um, we looked at his last ten, actually eleven years of transactions at a transaction level data, and this is this is where some of Emmett's. Uh, comments about data analytics really come into play. There were 63,738 transactions that happened over the period of time that we looked at. And we helped him understand that that's not just that number of transactions, it's this number of clients that have become recurring and they may not be recurring every month, but every two or three years they're coming back. And so that was part of the the value proposition that we enumerated to the buyers that they actually could understand and felt like, uh, you know, because it's there in the data, uh, it's not just the owner saying, hey, this is what we do every year. And so that's a good example of, um, you know, we sold the company, uh, helped the company be sold on more of a forward-looking multiple and a forward-looking view on the value of the company rather than just what happened over the last 12 months or the last, what's the average EBITDA over the last three years, which and, is. And he said, I'd like to sell the company for between X and Y. And we were about 30% over Y. So, I mean, it was really over the top end of what he expected because not only did we help clean up his books and increase his EBITDA in a, a meaningful way. Right. We were able to actually increase the multiple of that EBITDA. So those are just a couple of examples. Let me, um, let me just give you two more operational. Yeah. One yeah. Um, went to a $30 million online company and they wanted to sell their company for, you know, this million, many million. Well, when uh-huh. we did the forecast and cash flows, they weren't worth anything. They were doing $30 million of revenue a year, not worth anything. So they're working for who? And, working and, for a paycheck, yeah. Right. And so we they, spent, they own their job. What we found is they were selling to um, a, a very commodity product to people on the internet. Some of those people were contractors. And so they began culling out the contractors, finding them, creating a special program from them. And they created this recurring revenue stream and a pro buyer program. And they got linked into Home Depot and Lowe's. And so yeah. you ended up with, farming through the internet to find contractors and building these B2B relationships. And we eventually, they sold for 50, 60 million bucks and it took about four or five years executing against the plan. But yeah. it, was, it was figuring out that key driver and then maniacally focusing on it because they had about 3000 contractors after about five years. And that was great. Love those guys. And was the forecast accurate it wasn't that's not relevant what was relevant is the forecast gave them a tool to measure what they're doing it yep. gave them a way to actually have a plan and i'll give you one more quick one um little 
heavy equipment service company. It's three million bucks. We did the forecast. We laid out their five-year plan. I was hired by a private equity firm to go do something. I went away, came back three years later. They'd executed every year within 5% of revenue and EBITDA to that plan. And it wasn't because the forecast was accurate, because they had a target. And, and oh, by the way, grow, grown 30-plus percent Each on, on a compound annual growth so, I mean, they're still in revenue and profitability. And they're still, <laughs> they came back and said, could you redo the forecast? We're running out of columns. We don't know what's going to happen in 2018 now. <laughs> and so we redid it. And, and yeah. now they're, they're going from $10 million to $20 million with us, and they're looking at acquisitions. And so yeah. it's a long-term relationship. Once we embed a forecast into your um, organization. It's something you use as a management tool to run the company and we come back whenever you need us. Um, you don't, yeah. Yeah. There's no obligation. Yeah. I think what, what you talked about, you, you know, you, you, you uh, referencing, you know, a, a maniac uh, level of intensity, but it's really a, it's really a conviction and a bought in process. If you can get everybody on the team, everybody sitting around the table, if they understand what the vision is, if it's based on sound data and you've given everybody a chance to review it and, and they're bought into the vision at hand, which is really what a forecast is. Hey, should we be able to get to this number? Can we be able to get, can we get to this number? And then tracking through that accountability process, tracking their progress, but the entire team seeing the progress being updated on the progress. And then you start to get that, that level of teamwork and collaborate. We call it the collaboration effect on profits. If you can get a team to work well together, but the, the, the key piece there is not just, hey, we work well together, but we don't know where we're going and we don't know what we're trying to accomplish. Y'all give the, the data and the realistic understanding of hey, we can shoot for this. This is something that we should be able to accomplish, which is over and above just the day-to-day normal, what we've been able to accomplish. I think that's a really key. How do you guys work with teams or do you ever you know, run into teams where the owner wants, the owner's bought in, but they have a team that may or may not be you know, able to and, and maybe not want to, or they're, they're satisfied with the status quo. How do you deal with teams like that? Uh, that happens at every company every day <laughs> in some form or fashion, right? You know, I yeah. mean, it's, uh, uh, you've got the, the CEO or the owner, you have the sales team and the HR team and the ops team and the CFO, yep. all who have uh, slightly different views on the world, different personalities, and perhaps different agendas. And, and, and anecdotal data. And they, and, they, and they don't have the full picture. Yeah, because right, they, right. they own their system, whether it's the accounting system or the sales system or CRM yeah. or the accounting uh, operating system. Yeah. And yeah. so by combining this and bringing it all into one, one Excel-based, you know, kind of place, everyone can get around the table. And suddenly what happens to your point about collaboration and is the is two or three or five key measures, KPIs or goals fall out of that. And, and now we have a common language, a common way to talk about this, not only once a year at budget time, but on a monthly basis or a daily yeah. basis about, we know what the, key, the three or four key levers are to our business and we're 
as a team attacking them and regardless of whether it's a sales issue or a reporting issue or whatever. And um, that's what we feel like is really exciting. Um, let me give you just a, a pure example. Salespeople don't always put all their stuff into the CRM. I know it happens occasionally, but, you know. Shocker. You know, well, John, John says this. He, he ran sales teams for a dozen years. Yeah. Um, he's, he really got some deep knowledge. But, but, yeah. but um, because, of the, because of the pattern and structure of what we're talking about, we have companies from, you know, under $10 million of revenue up to $200 million of revenue that we work with that close their books 15 days after the end of the month and they have a and then, and then they go out to their sales team and say there are 12 days a year people that were really important for everything in our CRM system to be accurate and it's the 12th of the month and the reason it's the 12th of the month is that we're going to close the books on the 15th input it into the forecast and then the executive team's going to have a conversation about it on the 18th of the month and um, if, you, if you have stuff in there that's dated or that doesn't make any sense, guess what? The first month that we do that, we're going to have a conversation and you're not going to like it. After that first month, it doesn't happen very often afterwards. But you also kind of give the salespeople a little bit of leeway and say, okay, everything doesn't have to be perfect every day or else they'll never be come out from behind their desks and, you know, right. with Salesforce. Well, and so, yeah. We actually don't create work. We actually eliminate the white noise, and we quit asking salespeople yeah. what the margin on the deal is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to get paid on it. They don't know. They need to know about five things, and so we eliminate the ten or fifteen things they've been asked to put in the CRM that we, nobody needs. Yeah, yeah. And focus yeah. on who's the customer, what product, how much are they going to pay, when do they need it. That's it. Yeah. There may be a little bit of other data needed, but helping to eliminate anecdotal and white noise data on a management team helps them just personally see the value, even if they don't get the forecast. Yeah. And, and it, 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 ironically, it brings freedom and unleashes the, unleashes the, your people to do thing, do the things that you're actually asking them and paying them to do. Yeah. And yeah. We, help them, we help them translate because a good example would be, you know, the sales team's working on the Disney deal. Well, the operations guys, once they close it, call it the Orlando project. And then the accounting team call it deal 6809. And when they're talking about where's my commission on the Disney deal, accounting says, I don't know what you mean. And all what that, deal? yeah, all that is, is the systems aren't talking to each other. There's no common keys. And so we're unifying data across all these different systems. And that alone brings this, um, this uplift from a communication standpoint that I'm talking about. And that, that simple thing means now the sales guy can go to accounting and say, hey, where's my commission on 6809? Or accounting and say, oh, you mean the Disney deal? Yeah, here it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that's where we find when you're able to get that level of collaboration, you're able to attract the best people. Because right. the, the, the best, they, they want to, you know, yeah. Wasting time arguing about yeah. something that's just, oh, you just need a dictionary, a data dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, People understand that, you know, they want to get, they want to get on a team. 
that operates like that. The best people who are great at what they do and will bring the most value to your company and, and act as if they, you know, the owner mindedness that they bring to the company, that's what you get. And so, but if you tolerate the alternative, John, to your point, it, we're going to have the conversation one time if you don't follow these instructions. This is what you're tasked with. We're going to simplify it. Anybody can do it. But if you don't have that accountability, then it just keeps getting pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And sooner or later, you have both an unresponsive employee and you have messed up data that nobody can really work with. And so people who think that's a waste of their time, to your point, Emmett, they just want to get the job done. They, they understand it. They're motivated by that. They want to get the job done. That adds to your culture. That adds to your teamwork. And you're able to be able to look forward and get some of those things done. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe bringing it back to really relevant stuff today as we're kind of living through COVID, um, you know, we, again, have been humbled by the skill of the business owners and the leadership teams that we work with. You know, they've been able to, um, using, our, using our forecasting platform and perhaps some of our uh, input, but, you know, they've really been able to uh, go from, oh, my gosh, how are we going to survive to how are we going to thrive during this time? And yeah. that process is, you know, scary and it's kind of deep and rough waters, uh, you know, that a lot of people have walked through over the last few months. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, by having the financial foundation, by having, you know, this insight into past, current state, future, and by able being able to work together collaboratively, as you say, to create scenario plans that makes different scenarios and different plans that make sense to everyone and that you've communicated. What you've got is the an agile, dynamic company that can actually kind of live in, in situations like this. And so that, that understands its quote to cash process. Yeah. It understands the cash flow of each of its products and distribution channels, and therefore is not afraid to go out and say, make an acquisition of a company that they could improve. Right. And right. So many right. of our clients are proactively going out and doing MA because they're confident that they know what they're doing. Well, and that many of the, the, the point I was going to get to was they're in a position to your point, Russ, that they're an attract, they're an attractive place to work because there are, there's this stability to it. Everybody knows what they're doing. They know what their role is. They know how to, you know, work in the good times and the bad times. And what we're finding in addition to the M and a situation that Emmett's talking about is people are beginning to, uh, you know, win the war for talent. They're, they're in an environment now where they're actually going out and aggressively hiring the best salesperson in their industry or right. the top HR executive from an, a competitor or whatever because they, they look better in times of distress than the competition. And so it's a better career move for the best people to be aligned with these companies. So it's, it's really kind of, um, you know, a... Uh, you know, what's Warren Buffett's great quote, you know, when the, you know, who's wearing a bathing suit when the, when the uh, tide goes out, you know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we're, that's the time that we're in and we're, we're, we're thankful to be working with, um, you know, 34 companies now that are all kind of operating at that level, uh, you know, through this downturn and we're, we're, you know, very pleased to be partnering with them to help them succeed. But don't, don't 
think this is easy. This is a scary process for mm-hmm. others because it really discloses everything. It's as, it's as deep a due diligence as we've ever seen. It shows yeah. every single wart and every single beauty mark. But yeah. It's yeah, I, I, I can I can amen that. I can testify to that. You, you <laughs> sit, you're sitting there and, and I'm looking through these different things and, you know, my questions have questions and those questions have questions. But the process, if you don't know the answers to those, those are the things that circle in the back of your mind. And you're laying down in the bed at night and you're thinking through what's going on or what's going to happen. And you don't know where to place a question that comes up. This gives you the opportunity, at least it has for us, to take a question that you don't know the answer to and fit it into a framework and go find the answer to the question. Right. It gives you the confidence to be able to say, I'm not going to run from those questions anymore. I'm going to go find those questions and I'm going to take the answer and, or what could be, you know, forecast the different answers that could be out there and, and as a team, make a decision and go forward with it. But it is very scary. It is, and it's not, but it's done in safety. And so it's much better to do that in the privacy of your own home before you have to, you know, have a debt agreement yeah. and I'm breaking my covenant and I'm in trouble. Yeah. We've, we've had some companies say, could you pretend like we had debt and give us covenants and let's see how we do over the next six months. And so we did that before they got their first big loan. And yeah. that that's the kind of thing we love to do. We don't really like to be called during a crisis, but about half the time we are. And it would be better if it were, and you just want to learn to run your company or see where your company's going in a more um, quantitative way. Yeah. It's good when there's, when the, when you get a phone call and it's a noble, a noble person on the other end that is, is forecasting their issues ahead in, mentally and saying, you know what, we need to get something in place to, to tackle this. And, and uh, it, ours was a, you know, a little bit of all of the above, you know, because you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, COVID, we, nobody, and that's the, the thing about COVID-19 is that no, the impact of, you know, what's going on in the world, you open up the Wall Street Journal and every single day, the conversation seems to shift in some direction or the other, you know, one day it's this and one day it's this. And so being able to be, I think maybe a good word is, is that we like is nimble yeah. to be able to be nimble. And this gives you the opportunity to say, if I'm going to strap myself down with debt and different obligations and things that I have to live up to, then I need to, I need to be really sure to be able to go in that direction. And even with that, I'm, I'm nimble because I've seen multiple, multiple different areas and different scenarios going forward uh, in, in what could be. And that's really, you know, the, the, the hard part is if you put your blood, sweat and tears into something, you know, this seems like a, it's a pretty simple question to be able to say, am I looking at all the the results of that blood, sweat, and tears with the clearest and, and best set of lenses. And that's what you guys provide. Well, uh, thank you. That's what we try to do. <laughs> it is, it and, is, uh, you know, well, it, it, <clears throat> and, and I think that's the th- one of the things that um, Emmett and I love about our business is we have the opportunity to work with great companies, uh, great leadership teams, fantastic ideas that are being monetized in some form or fashion and um, help them raise debt, help them raise debt or equity and really, um, you know, have the opportunity to, to assist in their growth. And so it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, position that we're in. It's something that we're 
very excited about and, you know, we're honored to kind of work with our clients because they, uh, they impress and encourage us daily. Guys, it's been great to get some background on how you guys got together and what you've been doing with your clients over the last couple of years and, and look forward to continuing to do. We appreciate your work at Legacy and for joining the podcast with us today about knowing your numbers, getting ready for 2021, and also making the most of the rest of 2020. We'll put some links in the description below so the audience can check that out as far as how to get in touch with you guys if they have follow-up questions on several of the great points we've made today on the podcast. And I look forward to continue to have you guys on in the future to be able to give updates on some of the different stories because that's where we learn, right? We want to be able to hear what other people are going through. We want to be able to hear what they've kind of seen. And you guys have that breadth of knowledge and information to be able to give and provide that. So thank you again for being on the show. And we look forward to staying in touch. Y'all have a great day. Thank Thank you, you, Russ. Stay tuned and we'll be right back to conclude this episode. But first, I wanted to take a moment to provide some context. After all, this is the Three Wins Podcast. But what exactly are we referring to when we say the three wins? Here's a quick breakdown. The first win is the shareholder or business owner win. What do you as the business owner want to accomplish financially and by when? The second is the company win. What numbers does your company need to achieve to support your long-term financial goals as the owner? And the third is the key leader win. How can your company help your key employees reach their financial goals, which in turn will contribute to both the company and your wins? The idea here is that when you pursue the shareholder, company, and key leader wins all in concert, you'll see a level of collaboration in your business that becomes a force multiplier to achieve breakthrough performance. The Legacy Advisory Team calls this dynamic the collaboration effect on profits. So with the Three Wins Podcast, our mission is to help you discover and deploy the financial strategies and tools you need to put that collaboration effect on profits in motion in your business and in your personal financial life. To dig deeper into these ideas, download our free white paper at LegacyAdvisoryPartners.com backslash the three wins with the numeral three. Now, let's get back to this episode of the Three Wins Podcast. All right, guys. So you guys have seen the the, the uh, podcast, the interview with John and Emmett. Uh, it was great to be able to hear from them and, and talk with them. And we've seen their work uh personally and what they've helped us do, getting our uh, data organized and giving us some some coaching tips on not only uh, what data we collect, but then how to look at it and then how to put it in. Helped, they helped us build and, and uh, create a model where we can put those different data points in to be able to show on a month-by-month basis what we planned on and what we actually did, but then be able to look back and, or look forward and say, all right, what if we do X? What if we do this? What if we do this? And be able to forecast ahead with sound data points. It's helped us a lot. So you guys have seen the interview that, that I did with them. Uh, what were some of the takeaways that you guys had from that? And 
uh, how do we want to make sure we uh, emphasize those points for uh, our listeners and, and uh, different people that we work with, business owners and uh, professional uh, uh, leaders out there? Great job on the interview, by the way. That was, hey, thanks. You, did you like you did my Yogi good. Bear? You like my Yogi Bear intro? Yeah, yeah, Yogi Bear. Um, it was easy to listen to, and you guys started with a lot of content uh, from the get go. So it was uh, action packed from from the beginning, and that, it was really good. It kept me. It it reeled me in in the beginning, and kept going throughout the whole thing. Sounds like I have to say that because it's part of our podcast, but you do uh, have it, to it say actually, that. It's, it's true. Well, okay. I do have to say that, but uh, I'm saying it <laughs> because it is true uh, in this case. It, it was a fun listen. Yeah, I think just kind of pivoting off what you said, Russ, the, you know, as you have the ability to kind of understand, you know, um, your numbers and, you know, things that are going to affect it and, and how you get your, when you loop your team into this whole process of, um, what what are the goals that you're you're working towards? You know, any adjustments you're making, you know, and they become more aware of it. You you are be able to respond more quickly. You know, I think John had mentioned say you know, if you could be a quarter ahead or a few months ahead of your competition, you know, what kind of advantage does that create? Uh, so, you know, as your team, your leadership team, you know, is able to to take that information and uh, put it towards task and, and, you know, achieve results, then it's going to affect your, your bottom line numbers and, and help you work towards the, the goals that you, you, you set out. And um, I think it's just a great way we've seen how we have a better understanding of where we are, what it takes to, to get us to the next level. And I think it's a, uh, both companies and what we do and what PGA does uh, really brings a lot of value to a business owner. Yeah. One of the, one of the things about the conversation was the, the idea of practical growth and, you know, what you see so often is a, is person who starts a business or, you know, a new leadership comes into a, to a company um, and maybe they're acquired by, you know, and have uh, owners who are um, investment, you know, capital folks and, um, you know, they're, they're pushing for uh, end result that the data may not, the data may not be organized to begin with and may not support that data. So practically growing is an important part. And that's one of the things that they talked about. Um, and, and when we work with our clients, one of the ideas is saying, Hey, it, we're, we're trying to balance the wins. And so a practical approach is balancing the wins, balancing the win for the shareholders uh, balancing the win for the corporation and balancing the win for the uh, key leaders. Because if you can, if you can take the company, which we're talking about, all the data sits in the company. So if you could take the company and get a forecast in place in sound management team, making decisions based off of that, then you have something that is able to uh, assist and, and help uh, contribute towards the shareholder win. But there's also enough of a corporate win where the key leaders are incentivized and able to participate as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key it is, is the, the three wins model that we use is also very practical. Uh, what are Mark, how do, when you're, when you're walking through that, how do we talk with a business owner 
about uh, calculating the way for a key leader or a key leadership team to participate? What does that look like in that model? Well, I think it, the first element is, you know, what does the shareholder need? You know, what's the, the minimum kind of baseline that they're looking to um, get above the threshold of, of accomplishing their own needs? So you set that benchmark and then you look at, okay, what's uh, some reasonable targets and expectations? So, so say you have a million dollars of profitability that you need to achieve but you set a benchmark, you know, to the, the key leadership group, you know, anything above that could be shared in some kind of profitability pool or long-term incentive plan yeah. where they could get a percentage of that growth. So if they're able to grow the profitability to a million and a half. Well, that's kind of newfound money that this collaborative effect on profits was able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So you're, you as a business owner achieved more than you could do on your own. So if you share in that, just say if it's a 10, 15 or 20% model, then those percentages would go to your leadership team and you can set vesting schedules on that uh, because it's very important, you know, in this, in this market, you know, before COVID hit, uh, we were in a very uh, tight labor market where there was a lot of fight for talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's still some of that occurring in, despite this kind of challenging time frame that you know, if you do have some capital, you could go out and maybe recruit some key executives that that you may have not had been able able to before. Uh, but um, you know setting up a long-term incentive plan where you have vesting schedules and they see how they can share in that success and you're tying them, you're putting some golden handcuffs of kind of keeping some glue in the seat, you know, keeps you, keeps them with your company long-term. Yeah. That was one, what they mentioned in the podcast was thriving versus surviving in those difficult times. And, um, Mark, to your point of the, you, you don't want to make a bad situation worse. If you already have kind of a tight or, uh, non-existent really market for whatever product or service you have, you don't want that to be even worse by you're also losing key employees or, you know, people that make your business, your business Because coming out of um, coming out of the bad times. You want to be able to pick up where you left off. Ideally you would, you know, not even uh, lose a step, but realistically you don't want to be hamstrung when you come out of this by having your key employees, you know, folks that are important to the operation going somewhere else because those people did prep better. They did have the wherewithal to kind of take advantage of uh, the down market and create that opportunity. Yeah. One thing uh, that I thought was a good quote, you know, Warren Beth has got a lot of, a lot of really good wisdom, but you know, the mental image always sticks with you. Uh, not until the tide goes out can you are you able to discover uh you know who's been swimming naked and that really is that feel of you know all of a sudden the tide's gone out all, all the way up until you know february you know late you know kind of that that february time frame of this year everybody was like man i can't i can't not succeed i have to royally screw up or you know 
fraud or some other stupid decision in the market that we were we were in to not be able to uh, make a profit and to do well, right? Now, still people who you know were, were having their own challenges at the time. However, the majority of business in the economy was doing really well, and everybody thought we're, we're this is a really good thing. And then all of a sudden, COVID hits, and the tide goes out, and you see people who you know they had a lifeline with you know the PPP loan, and they may have you know they may have got some other disaster relief, economic relief, but we still have the balance of the year. Most people have exhausted that, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And if they don't have a model to put those numbers into and be able to look at it and say, how long can I sustain this workforce? How long can I sustain, uh, you know, making the, you know, certain decisions? Is it better if I take uh, some debt on right now and be able to go find and, 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 uh, recruit some of this top talent that when the tide rises, I'll be at the front of the pack. Is it better for me to go and try to buy inventory right now because it's on sale? So what, what things are on sale? What, how do I need to manage my numbers? Mm-hmm. And you can't do that without forecasting because otherwise it's, you know, licking your finger and sticking it out the window and asking on, you know, going down the street in the car and asking which way the wind's blowing. Right. It's, it's not true. It's not actually uh, going to give you the right uh, outcome. But the second piece there is having the people around you to make really good decisions. And so if you're not incentivizing those people and you're not giving them an update, and I'm not, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily uh, suggest providing somebody incentive right now just to make it to the end of 2020. What you're trying to do is say, hey, listen, we don't know what 2020 is going to look like. We hope people are going to get a bonus. We hope something, right? Every Most of our clients are making these adjustments because you have to preserve the corporation, right? That's right. the goose that lays a golden egg. That's what we teach. You have to preserve the, the, the corporation, put it into almost a hypothermia kind of situation where you're protecting the core. But then you have to make sure that you're ready to rise with the tide. You have to make sure that that's, that's the, 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 the forefront of your mind and what does that look like for 2021? What are some things? Uh, so Matt is from a planning perspective, um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, always a personal financial side on this as well, because you want to look at the numbers for the corporate, right? That's the, that's the financial modeling that John and Emmett are, are so good at and that we encourage other folks to, to find a way to put in place either through John and Ember or some other firm that can help you with that. We really like them. Obviously we've disclosed that we've used them, but you also have to talk from a shareholder win perspective. What are some things right now on the personal financial planning side that shareholders need to be uh, looking at to make sure that they're thinking through the shareholder win, not only now, but also when the tide rises in the future. Yeah, it's, so in one of the examples they had, you know, they had a, a business that was, it had quite a bit of revenue, but when the owner kind of, they looked at the, uh, looking to sell the business, 
there really wasn't a lot of money there because either the owner was such a key part or they were the business. Basically, if you take them out, uh, the whole thing's Mm going to crumble. So, you know, the whole practical growth methodology of it's not just about focusing on revenues or, you know, one data point, you're going to miss the whole picture. Um, it's about, you know, considering how did we get there? If you're a small business owner, 10 people or so, uh, but you are a significant kind of that center of the wheel um, mentality, that's not really going to get you where, where you want to go. You're not going to be able to sell out of the business at the end of the day and get what you need out of it. And it's no different, um, you know, even while you're working at the business, even if you're not planning on selling uh, for quite some time, you still want to consider your alternatives. So, you know, are you taking money out of the business and putting it into other things, you know, your own personal investments or maybe different investments for diversification reasons or, you know, because you need to kind of get your own pump, personal pump primed. A lot of folks, you know, the the business is their retirement plan, but not everybody. And having that data and having kind of the forecasting ability to know, um, I still have this much growth potential possible. You know, I could grow 10 to 15% or more by investing in the business. Let's compare that to, okay, what can I do and kind of a, a... 401k or, you know, some investment model outside, is it a good idea for me to continue investing in what I'm doing without getting too crazy, um, you know, with diversification and stuff like that. So you always want to be considering kind of the alternatives and being able to do all that forecasting and kind of grow and really know what your uh, next goal is how you're going to get there, perceived timeline, all that's really going to translate to um, your personal situation. And at the end of the day, that's really what it is. A lot of times we lose sight of the, the end goal because we're so focused on kind of the what's immediately in front of us. So yeah. always considering that exit strategy or, you know, if the, the worst case happens and we talk about, you know, short-term transition or long-term transition with death, disability, things like that, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You always want to have contingencies on contingencies. Yeah, it's good. That's good. The thing you talked about, you know, we, we, when we talk with our clients is getting the owner out of the middle of the circle mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the value of a company, and this is one of the great things uh, we've seen um, Emmett and John be able to do, they call it dynamic valuation process, is that when you stop and you work through a valuation, instead of looking backwards, right, instead of looking backwards and saying, this is all that this, is, this company is worth, right, based on what they've done in the past, look forward and say, what are the things that are happening and can happen and with a great forecast, you can help define that. But one of the important things is how integral to the business is the owner. And so if you have a business, if there's an owner out there, if you're, if you're listening, you're owner of a business and you are, you are saying to yourself, I'm the wizard or now, nah, man, I just don't know if they could do it without me. That is a bad situation to be in. That is not, that is not something to pat yourself on the back saying you are indispensable. 
No, you are, you are setting you and your company and the people that you care about in your business up for failure in a number of different ways. Number one, the business is not going to be as worth as much when someone comes around to buy it, right? It's too dependent upon you. And that's a discount. That's a discount on that valuation back to Matt, Mark, uh, Matt's point. The second area is when you move forward, the corporation being able to track and stay with those, the forecasts that you're putting in place, the ability to hit those numbers probably go, will, will, will suffer because you're involved in the key relationships, the vendor relationships, client relationships, uh, center of influence relationships. Your name is out there instead of the name of the business, right? And the third thing is when you leave, if that becomes shaky, the talent may also leave. And oftentimes, a company is coming in and buying your company because it's got a great offering to the market. It's got potential to grow and it's got people who can lead it. So the last thing you want to be able to do is if I go in there and buy a company, I don't want to step into something that I've got to spend 100 hours a week leading. That's not what I want to do if I'm a buyer. I want to be able to step into something and I can have it as much of a passive investment as possible for me, right? Because I'm, I'm buying other things, right? I want, to, I, want to be, I want to be able to do other things with my time. So I want a management team that's in place. So it's great to be out of the center of the wheel and have that team in place. And you want to be able to retain them going back, Mark, to your comments. So Mark, dive a little bit more into the retention conversation, what do key executives need? And we're talking a company, a small company that might have, you know, five, four or five employees that are key. You want to, if they left, you'd be really hurting. But we also want to talk to larger corporations because this is something that, that everybody has to deal with. You may have, you know, 200 people, that, you know, from a management level and up that you want to be able to retain and them leaving causes a disruption that costs the company money, right? So there's all levels of retention that we talk about at Legacy. What are some key areas and key approaches that uh, businesses can take in order to make sure they retain their folks at a tax advantage way to get them ready to, to especially in the retirement perspective? Yeah. Well, for, you, for the smaller corporations, you know, when you're, if you set up a, a long-term incentive plan that we discussed before, uh, it's important to show them, you know, what is the impact this plan could create on my own first personal financial independence. So assessing where they are currently, you know, what is the 401k going to provide? What is the existing assets going to provide? What kind of income stream does that project to? You know, what percentage am I on target to, to being financially independent? And then being able to see, okay, if we reach these goals and objectives, it's going to add in addition to that. And, you know, here's what it could be later on. So they begin to visualize, Hey, you know, if we're, if we have um, a team that's tied in, we're collaborating uh, in creating this effect on the profitability of the company, you know, I get these awards that I'm going to be much better off, you know, you think about how many people are, are on schedule to be financially independent across the U.S., it's very small. Um, so not many people have hardly anything saved. 
but this could be a, a really an exponential factor to help close that gap and, and get them to, to a higher level. Uh, in larger corporations, you know, just even setting up a, a deferred compensation plan. So if they only have 401k and they need an additional tax savings place where the executive can defer more of their income, you know, this is a great place that they can defer their performance-based bonus. Uh, you can set it up where the corporation allows the participants even six months into the the earning period to make that decision. And um, they can defer, you know, if you have commissions, that could be a part of a, a plan like this. So uh, the higher income is, the lower the current IRS limits are on being able to defer. You know, you're looking at, uh, you know, right at 20,000, you know, of, of, employee deferral. And then, you know, if you've got over age uh, 50, you're looking at 26,000. So, you know, this gives you an ability to defer above and beyond those amounts in a pre-tax environment and um, manage those assets towards reaching financial independence. Yeah. And that's really the, the beauty of know your numbers all the way across the board. Knowing what you need as a shareholder Right. And, and, you know, in a downturn like we're you know looking at right now and not everybody's in a downturn, but overall, there's there's struggle across the board, not knowing what's around the corner, trying to plan for 2021. What does that look like? How does, you know, a, a you know, a 18 month downturn and, and, you know, slowly progressing back, hopefully to where we were before. Who knows what that looks like? But how does that affect you, the shareholder? Then looking at your company and saying, all right, what does the company need in and of itself? How do I preserve the company to continue to succeed? What what uh, cash is available to me? What are the uh, competitive advantages that I could take advantage of? You know, right now and go go and capture right now to get ready for uh, you know the the coming rising of the tide. And then the key folks, what do my key leaders need in order not only to retain them? but also to help them succeed as if they were shareholders. Cause that's what that that's the beauty of, of any business that has a strong culture from top to bottom. People look at themselves as if it's their business. That's the, that's the, the, what we like to, to uh, bring into our conversations is say, hey, this is a, this is a culture question, how you manage numbers and how you manage money and how you manage the people around you. This is a culture question. And so that's what, and you can go in the description below and find the link to our white paper on uh, eight virtues, how eight virtues can affect a team to improve their collaboration and how the collaboration uh, effect on profits can be realized in your business, no matter what size it is. And that's what we live in, in, in breathe and, and preach here at Legacy and, and want that for our clients because that's when you're having fun. And even in the middle of a downturn, you have the confidence to say, you know what, we're going to do everything we can to preserve our culture. We're going to do everything we can to take care of our people, our clients, our vendors, all of our relationships that matter because that's what, you know, a business is a, is a P&L and a, um, you know, in a balance sheet, everything else is relationships. So how do we take care of those things so that we're ready to rise. You may have to make some hard decisions, but at least you're making hard decisions that you have sound data to make 
and you lead well. And as soon as you're able to come back to it, you say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We're making these decisions because of X and we're going to move forward. And we look forward to, you know, getting back to where we can as quickly as possible. So I think those are, those are some great points. And John and Emmett really hit home on knowing your numbers and being able to get ready to make the most out of the rest of 2020 and getting ready for 2021. And we just don't know, you know, what's, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But if you study that data, that you can see some patterns and you can look at it in one of their comments, I love the Wayne Gretzky quote is, I'm skating to where the puck's going to be. And that's the, that's the key right now. Being able to stop instead of in fear, worrying about what all the bad things that could happen, but in faith and in, in looking at sound data, being have a firm footing on your data, be able to look forward and say, well, hey, you know what? There's only a couple places where that puck could be. And I'm going to make sure I surround myself with some really, really sound thinkers looking at key data through this, uh, th- through this uh, modeling process that John and Emmett could take you through and say, you know what? I've got, I, I know what I know and I can be peace of mind about that. That's a, that's a valuable thing in these times having a peace of mind, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. And it's kind of like, uh, I, you know, a child that's afraid of the dark. If you can shine a light, on, you know, if they think something's under the bed, you can shine a light under there, show them, you know, that sort of fear doesn't exist. It's the same thing, you know, using this data to create, uh, same thing that we do for personal clients, you know, when we're talking about investment strategies, a systematic approach to Mm -hmm. take all of the emotion out of it. We're very emotional creatures and that, that clouds our judgment very often, especially if you're the owner, a lot of your personal wealth is at stake. Having a non-systematic approach where you let kind of that uh, emotional side creep in is really going to limit what you're capable of doing or, you know, potentially make you zig when you should have zagged type thing. So as much as we can rely on data, create some emotionless process. So when we do get into the tough times, when it is scary, when it is, uh, you know, times, maybe good times, and we're more greedy, it's the same thing. We want to limit the greed just as much as we want to limit the fear. So you're making those uh, systematic decisions and strategic decisions versus just kind of, yeah, uh, throwing spaghetti at the wall and just kind of riding the emotional highs that come with being a business owner. I like the uh, the reference from the future to be first time uh, father about children. So that's going to be. Yep. A- <laughs> I I had another. Oh, had you're going to find example. out about it. Oh, you're going to learn all about it, Matt. I had another example, like as far as the you know business owners kind of you know training their key people. It's like your children if you're always kind of going behind them and fixing stuff rather than letting them grow. Uh, you're really going to limit what they're going to be able to do on their own. And yeah. thinking, you know, it's funny that me with uh, you two guys, seasoned veterans in the parenting department. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that I'm drawing those parallels, but I don't know. Maybe that means I'm. I'm actually ready. Who knows? You're getting ready. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm nine. Mark's ahead of me. I'm nine years into it with four. And I walk in the other day and, and going in the, the garage carport area and I look up on the ceiling and there's just black. And I walk in, I say, what happened? And they had a mud fight 
and it got all over. They cleaned everything except the ceiling. Yeah. And I, you know, I thought to myself, well, it's not spaghetti and it is outside. It's a little easier to clean, but go. Oh man. Oh yeah. The first time that, uh, <laughs> first time that, uh, that poop or, uh, peas or whatever wonderful stuff ends up in your face or on you, then it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be Can't good. Mark. When, we get, when we get back to client meetings, we show up and Matt's got this white substance on his, uh, yeah. sport coat, you know, it's going to be, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's sweat, sweat to seize it as you're walking out the door. And she's too tired to even tell you right. <laughs> that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll have uh, reserves, reserve clothes, just in case uh, some accidents happen. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for uh, jumping on. And, and we appreciate John and uh, John Coffin and Emmett uh, more from uh, from uh, uh, Practical Growth Advisors. We are uh, thrilled to be able to have guys like that on, uh, people like that on the, the podcast to be able to give strength to the three wins uh, because it's a lot of hot air coming out of our mouths if we just if it was just us. But uh, the uh, links to uh, some of their information can be found in the description below. Uh, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please uh, subscribe and let us know. Give us some feedback. We appreciate all of it. Um, and uh, we look forward to bringing you uh, continual information, uh, not only on what's going on today, uh, in, in practical terms of the economy and the market and in the environment, but also in things that you can be doing to plan well financially as a shareholder, uh, as the business owner, as a, as a business leader in a large corporation, uh, to be able to make sure that you're doing everything you can to set the business up for success and to retain your key people uh, through qualified and uh, non-qualified retirement plans. Uh, let us know if you need some help with any of those uh, again, thank you for joining us and uh, please pass the message along about the Three Wins Podcast. We really appreciate it. Signing off for now. Thank you for listening to the Three Wins Podcast. We have links to some awesome resources in the show notes. And if you haven't already done so, please click subscribe so you won't miss any future episodes of the Three Wins Podcast. This is Sean Lydon signing off for now. Until next time, we'll see you then.